Hey, it's Dr. Kristen. I'm super excited about our new season coming out September 26th. And while we're getting ready for our new season, we wanted to re-release some of your favorite episodes. Today's episode is how to create positive change. Welcome to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen, where we help you navigate the challenges of feeding your family and learn about the role food plays in our health and relationships. Feeding and food relationships can be stressful, confusing, and even destructive. I'm Kristen Saxena, a pediatrician and mother of four, who's been researching and sharing what I've learned about feeding for over 10 years. In this podcast, I'll share my experience and expertise to help our kids and ourselves with everyday survival tips for real parents. This podcast is about progress, not perfection. So let's get started. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Damon. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's great to meet you uh, again and to meet your audience this time. Yeah, so I first really met you and kind of came across your message. I am on the board of directors for a local nonprofit organization called Child Saving Institute. Uh, They're an incredible organization. They do lots of wonderful work for some of the most at-risk kids in our community. And I was actually at a luncheon fundraiser that they do every year. And Damon was the keynote speaker at that fundraiser. And uh, the story that you told as part of your speech at that luncheon uh, was extremely uh, compelling to me. So you told a story, and and we'll get into this, of your life um, that though has been very different from my my path in life, um, was still incredibly relevant to myself. And, you know, I was at the table discussing it with the people in the room, and we all felt like the message that you had was such an important message to share and really relevant to everyone in their life. So I'm really excited to have you on and excited to share your story with our listeners. That said, you know, on our show, we we mostly talk to... um, you know, child feeding experts and talk a lot about how do we best feed our families and our kids. I also have members of my mom squad that come on and kind of talk about their own experience along those lines. But that said, we also talk a lot about, you know, feeding your family and feeding yourself is not necessarily always just about food and nutrition. A lot of it is about what are we taking in? You know, what is the self-talk? What is the environment that we're feeding ourselves? And I felt like, your message and and there was nobody better to talk to than you as as we kind of delved into that so thanks again for joining us damon yeah thanks again for having me and and let's let's unpack some of that there because that's some some important stuff i tell people all the time that you are what you eat it's not just about food it's about everything you put in this big brain of yours up here everything you put in the soul of yours up here now you are what you eat is important about food too your body is very important in life because your body carries your soul Mm-hmm. You have nothing else that's going to carry your soul around. But what do we feed ourselves? You know, in your mental workout, I talk to people about this all the time. It's everything you it's everything you read, every video you watch, it's every website you go to. It's your social media feeds, which are such a big part of our lives. And who do we follow? You know, what are they posting? What are what are we posting on social media? But like, what are we playing for TV inside of our homes? You know, are we watching something that calls itself news, but it's just people screaming at each other and telling you to fear everybody and everything around you? And, because that's not news. That's what that is, is negative entertainment. And we've got to 
we've got to be willing to turn that stuff off and because it's poisoning us, Christian, from the inside out. And I don't care if it comes from the left or the right. It's important to make sure that we have the right stuff inside of our homes because our children are watching. And it's important to feed them the right stuff. I completely agree. And we'll circle back to that. First things first, though, for those of our listeners that kind of aren't familiar with you or your backstory, or as my 11-year-old son, who's really into superheroes, would say, can you share your origin story <laughs> with our <My> listeners? <laughs> That's funny. I like that. So, yeah, like, um, you know, the best place to probably start the story isn't at the beginning, but kind of uh, towards the, the middle to the end. It's uh, 14 years ago. I was sitting in this little rundown apartment in Dallas. It was 2008, July 30th, 2008. I remember the date. And uh, I've got my drug dealer sitting next to me. And at, and at this point in my life, you know, you've got to really separate yourself from this clean cut, polished looking guy you see in front of you today on this podcast. And uh, 14 years ago, imagine me as a full blown meth addict in the head of an organized crime ring. I'm the top criminal in this criminal organization, a criminal organization that we break into people's homes. We've got a burglary crew. And a bunch of bunch of meth addicts breaking into people's houses, and and, and it, look, I mean, and and the the diversity of this crowd is a swath of society because drugs and addiction don't discriminate. The, drugs and addiction doesn't care who you are, where you come from, your your race, your gender, your socioeconomic status. So it's just this wide swath of other meth addicts and criminals. And I'm sitting in this apartment that day, and I'm telling my my drug dealer, his his name is Tex. I'm telling Tex, Tex, I think the end is near. I think the cops are about to close in on me. And just about that time, the window blew out my right and shattered. The flashbang grenade was bouncing across the living room floor. It blows up in my face. Cops start flooding in. They're, they've got me on the ground screaming, don't move, don't move. And one of the cops even screams out, we got it. We got the Uptown Burglar, you know, and the Uptown Burglar, that's a name I'll live with for the rest of my life. It's a moniker that I can't escape. That's the consequences of my decisions. Um, but the Uptown Burglaries came to an end that day. They took me to Dallas County Jail, processed me in, fingerprints, mugshots, put me in a holding cell. And, and 10 months later, I go to trial. I get my day in court. And, and, and I really think, Kristen, I think I'm going to get out of this. I think that in my, in my entire life, I've been this privileged white guy that's got, been able to get out of everything in life. You know, I'm a charismatic guy. I'm, I'm articulate, um, educated. Uh, I may be down and out on drugs at this point, but I think I'll get out of this, too, because I got out of everything else. And I'm standing in front of a jury and the, the trial lasted about a week. It's a six day trial. And the jury heard the whole story about my life, about how I came from these great parents, these wonderful parents who raised me right. And, and I didn't come from a broken home. My mom and my dad are still married, Kristen. I mean, this year they'll celebrate 54 years of marriage. You know, so I came from a great environment. I had everything, every advantage. Played college football. I was a great athlete. Played Division One college football. I was a quarterback in college. Got hurt, but I worked in Congress. I worked uh, for a guy running for president of the United States. I worked on Wall Street as a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world. So I had every advantage and privilege in life. And I thought, man, this has got to be a plus in front of this jury. Man, I was wrong. I was so wrong because the jury. They hated me and I gave them every reason to hate me because in front of them is this guy that had everything in life and blew it all and chose to be uh, a, a criminal. You know, I, I'm an addict. That's a disease. But I chose to be a criminal to fund my addiction. And the jury went to deliberate after six days of trial. The jury went to deliberate for 10 minutes on my sentence. I mean, 
10 minutes is nothing. I don't know how much law and order you watch, <laughs> but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, they smoked you. That's and I came back in the courtroom and the judge delivered the sentence out with a grin on his face. He said, Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And 65 years in Texas is a life sentence, Kristen. I mean, that's a, uh, you know, they're giving, they're, they gave me a life sentence that day. Now, obviously I didn't do the entire life sentence because I'm talking to you today at my home in the home studio here in Texas. I did seven years and three months in a maximum security penitentiary in Beaumont, Texas, actually right down the road. I live four miles from the prison where I did my time. In fact, today I'll go jogging by the prison. I jog by it all the time. Um, but I did seven years and three months in one of the toughest prisons in Texas. And I can tell you a lot about tough prisons because since I got out of prison, I went back to school and got my master's in criminal justice. And today, today I'm a professor at the University of Houston downtown teaching a class called Prisons in America. So today I'm actually a professor of prisons at one of the biggest universities in America. But um, the time in prison was tough. It was, it, was it was difficult. It was the hardest thing I've ever been through, the most dangerous thing I've ever been through in my life. But I transformed myself inside there. I became a coffee bean. And that's what we're going to talk about in this podcast, about being a coffee bean. And when the parole board came to interview me in 2015, I didn't think I had any chance of making parole my first time. I figured I would probably do 10 or 15 years, not seven. But the lady for parole, she said, when she brought me in, she said, I've got one question for your parole interview today. So it's like a one question test. And I'm like, yikes. And I'm thinking to myself, no pressure. what? <laughs> yeah, no pressure. What's she going to, I mean, what's she going to ask me though? Yeah. And um, her question was that she said, if, if she said, if you could be remembered for being anything in life, just anything at all, she said, tell me what that would be, but do it in just one word, go. And, you know, Kristen, I'm a coffee bean. That's an easy question for a coffee bean to answer. And I fired her answer back at her and I, and, and I said, useful. I just want to be useful and I can be useful in this prison, as you've already seen, and I can be useful out in the free world, finding more coffee beans. And uh, on November 16, 2015, I walked out of prison, not necessarily a free man, because I'm on, I'm on parole. <laughs> I'm on parole to the year 2073. Wow. So I got a little, I got a little time left on supervision. And yeah. This means, I mean, I, I'm no different than any other parolee in the state of Texas. There's a hundred hundreds of thousands of us. And, and I go to my parole officer every month. I pee in a cup. I pay a fine. I answer questions. If I want to leave the state of Texas, I have to get permission for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. But today I'm a coffee bean out on a mission. I get a chance to share this story with people everywhere I go and, and I get to help other people transform their lives and mainly helping people find the opportunity and adversity. Because that's my, my theory is that inside of every adverse situation, there's opportunities. And sometimes we're going to have to dig deep to find those opportunities, but they're there. And that's where growth takes place Absolutely. because growth takes place. Yeah. It takes place outside your comfort zone. You're not going to grow being stagnant. And when I was inside that prison, it was the most uncomfortable place there was, but I also grew more in those seven years in prison than anywhere else. And that's the, the part of the story that's really dynamic. Absolutely. So Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I have you have a couple of books out there because in addition to being a speaker and a professor, you're also a best selling author. Um, and that does circle back to, you know, I think a lot of people maybe that aren't familiar with with your story and your books and we're looking at your signs and everything. They might be wondering, what are you talking about? What are you talking about being a coffee bean? Um, and so can you tell us this story? Um, 
you know, two things actually, even before we move on to the coffee bean, I do feel like I wanted to give a shout out to your mother because one of the things as a mom, as I was, I found very compelling about your story that you told was the day that you were sentenced um, to this life sentence in prison. You talk and you'll relate it better than me, but you had a, your mother um, had a conversation with you that seems like it was extraordinarily pivotal for you in terms of the direction that you were able to take and make a transformation. Yeah, right after they sentenced me to life in prison, they dragged me out of the courtroom. They stick me in this little side room. It's got a bulletproof glass right there. They told me to wait. And a few minutes later, my parents walk in. Now, my parents have been to this entire trial for six days. and They're devastated, obviously. Their son, with all this promise in life, just got a life sentence in prison. But I've got five minutes with my parents. They're on the, the other side of the glass. And my mom tells me, she said, baby, she said, you know, debts in life demand to be paid. And she said, uh, you just got hit with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas. She said, but you did the things they said you did at that trial. So you're going to have to go and pay that debt to society. She said, but you owe your father and I debt, too. She said, Damon, we gave you all the opportunity, love and support to be anything you want to be in life. And that's how you just repaid us. She said, it's not going to work. And she's reminding me of how I was raised. She said, you were raised in a giant melting pot of a city. And we gave you a great moral compass, which you chose to not use. She said, so here's the debt you're going to pay to us. When you go to prison, you will not get in one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type of gangs, because you're scared because you're the minority in there. She said, you were never raised to be a racist, and you're not going to start now. And she said, you will not get any tattoos while you're inside that prison. And, and I mean, I show people my sleeves all the time when I don't have a sweater on. I was in prison for almost 10 years, Kristen. These guys want to tattoo every inch of your body in a maximum security prison. I mean, every day they're hitting you up. Hey, Wes, let me put a tattoo on you, man. And every time I tell them, man, hey, dude, I can't do it, man. My mom said no <laughs> because she, yeah, she did. I mean, it I, just, love I love to think about how that goes down in a prison where somebody's like, I want you to do this. And you're like, I'm sorry. My mom said no. <laughs> but as yeah. a mom, I'm like, see, even as an adult man in prison, there's still hope that your son's going to listen to his mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's that's the thing. But my mom is telling me, she says, no gangs, mm -hmm. no tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised or don't you come back at all? And this is, I mean, this is tough love. So, um, and she said, do you understand this debt you're going to pay? You know, you come back, like I'm telling you, or, just, or don't come back. We don't want you the other way. So like, yeah, mom, I got it. But, but I mean, look, I don't have any clue what I just promised my mom. I'm just saying, I'm saying, yeah, I've got it because I want to keep this promise to her, but I have no idea about the machine with teeth that I'm about to walk into that's waiting to devour me. And so when I'm back in my pod in Dallas County Jail, I'm, I've got a few months before the prison bus comes to pick me up and I'm asking all these guys that have been to prison before, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? And every guy, every guy I talk to, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they tell me the same thing that, you got to get into a gang. You won't survive without a gang. The gang will be your family. The gang will protect you. The gang will love you. Now, there was one guy, though, that was so different than everybody else in Dallas County Jail, this old black man named Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson, he was the one that pulled me aside. Uh, every morning, he'd come up to my cell, to my bunk, and he'd pick me up like a ray of sunshine in a dark place. He's a real positive guy. He always had a smile on his face. And so one morning, he comes up, 
And he's telling me about the dynamic I'm about to walk into. He's, he's telling me, honestly, it's going to be the toughest thing I've ever been through. And everything, he said, everything you're about to encounter in there is about race because all the inmates want it to be about race. So you got to fight the white gangs first when you're in there if you want your independence from them because they've got the first rights on you. And he said, if you survive the white gangs, then you got to fight the black gangs because the black gangs are coming for you because they're going to try to shepherd you over to the white gangs where you belong. He said, but if you can survive all that and you get your independence from them, you'll earn the right to walk alone. And he told me this story. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. And he said, anything we put in the pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. So he said, I want to put three things in that pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. So he walks me through it. He says, hey, first things first, if I put a carrot in the pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? And I was like, man, the carrot's going to turn soft, Mr. Jackson. He said, that's right. He said, but the carrot went in the water hard, but the water, the prison, turned the hard carrot soft, mushy, and weak. And he said, the carrot, he said, the carrot got beat, got robbed, may have gotten raped, and he may have gotten killed. You don't want to be the carrot inside that prison. He said, what about the egg? What happens to the egg in the pot of boiling water we call prison? And I was like, Mr. Jackson, well, the egg's going to turn hard, man, like a hard-boiled egg. He said, that's right. He said, the egg is a shell that protects it physically, but inside that shell, that soft liquid core, the egg's heart becomes hardened. He said, if your heart becomes hardened, now you're incapable of giving or receiving love. He said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you have become institutionalized and you will not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell will have swastikas tattooed all over it. And then he asked me, he said, but what about the coffee bean? What happens to the coffee bean in the pot of boiling water we call prison? And Kristen, I didn't know. I didn't know what happened to a coffee bean in a pot of boiling water. And that's when Mr. Jackson, uh, a man that looked nothing like me, didn't come from the same America I came from, didn't believe the same things I believed in life. This is a black Muslim man from the streets of Dallas, Texas. The streets. And I, I'm a white Catholic guy from a little town called Port Arthur. But this guy so different than me shared with me one of the most important and transformational messages I've ever received in life. And the moral of that is this. If we ever, if we ever shut ourselves off to people because they look different than us, different background, than us, different race, gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, if we shut ourselves off to people because of their differences, then we're going to miss some of the most important lessons and, and some of the best friendships in this life too. Because Mr. Jackson told me that day, he said, if I put a coffee bean into that same pot of warm water we call prison, he said, now you have to change the name of the water to coffee. Mm -hmm. Because he said the, the coffee bean, Wes, the smallest of the three things, he said, small like you had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot because the power is inside the coffee bean. He said, just like the power is inside of you. And he told me, he reminded me that, that everything else is transformed by the water. The carrot is transformed by the water. The egg is transformed by the water. He said, but the coffee beans, the only thing that can transform and change that water. I love so it. So he told me, and yeah, you so know, he told me. That's the message I feel like, you know, carries this, all these lessons that you learned sort of through this most difficult time of your life. Yeah. And yet that, that is so applicable to everyone in the sense that, you know, talking about how you've said, you know, inside each of us is this power to transform ourselves, but also to transform the environment around us. And really just this idea of being a force for good or for positivity and the way that that can not only change you, 
for the better, but change the world around you. Absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, we all have this power inside of us. Uh, sometimes we're going to be the carrot, though. Sometimes we're going to be sad. That's a natural mm -hmm. human emotion. And then there's going to be those days that we're like the egg, that, that we're mad, we're angry, we're mean, we're, we're irritable. I mean, I mean, honestly, I have more egg days than I have carrot days. But, but we all have that power inside of us to be like that coffee bean and transform the pot of warm water into a pot of coffee. And, and the thing about being a coffee bean is this, is that, you know, you have a power inside you that power inside you to, to not only transform your world, but, but start your day over anytime you want. You know, being a coffee bean means like, hey, look, it's nine o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock at night. I'm having a bad day. I can stop the day. I can start it over. Take a deep breath. Take a step back and tell life, you know what, man, I don't have to be the carrot. I don't have to be the egg. And then I make the choice to be like that coffee bean. And, um, you know, it's so, so many people have responded back to this story because it's a story that a five-year-old or an 85-year-old can understand. It's yeah. the simplicity of the three options in front of us with the story of the coffee bean. Yeah, I actually read it to my kids who are 13, 11, 9, and 7. And this morning when I was looking again for this book, I couldn't find it. And I asked my 7-year-old, and she said it was in her backpack because she brought it to school. That's um, so cool. Uh -huh. And that was months ago I had read it to them. So I thought oh, that man. that was cool to share with you because I said, where did that go? I thought that was in your room. She goes, oh, it's in my backpack. I've been carrying it around. So your book has been floating around in a seven-year-old's backpack for months. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. I love it. <laughs> but yes. um, so th I think that, you know, Definitely, I think that this is an incredible message, but I'm always looking for, okay, you know, I, I ha you have my buy-in, I believe this, I can be, I can change my environment for the better um, by the way that I present myself and the way that I act, the way that I think. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, all right, well, how do I do that? What, what, are the, what is the practical advice or the actual tips that you give people like on a day-to-day -day basis, how do I be this coffee bean? Yeah, look, so, I mean, first thing about being a coffee bean is, is, is you have to have positive body language everywhere you go. You, I mean, you got to smile. It starts with your smile. Your smile is powerful. Your smile has the ability to change the energy in every room you go into. Mr. Jackson, Mr. Jackson told me, he said, you will either infect the rooms you go into with your negative energy or you're going to affect every room with your positive energy. Infect versus affect. And we want to have a positive effect everywhere we go. And it starts with your smile. Now, your smile has the ability to change other people's energy and, and change the energy in a room because people see you smile. Many times they're going to smile back. That's what people are going to do. Man. But your smile has this power to change your energy too, because it releases the chemical in your brain that's called an endorphin. And you can do this by yourself. You don't have to be in a room full of people. You don't have to be in anybody in the room. You can be by yourself. I did it when I was in a prison cell. I did it on an airplane recently. A couple months ago, I was on a flight leaving Miami, going back to Houston, two and a half hour flight. And as soon as the wheels go up, the little toddler in the seat behind me starts crying, you know, wah, wah. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And that kid's going to, you know, once we get up and the ears pop, everything's going to be fine. No, the kid cried the entire flight, two and a half hours. I mean, nonstop. I mean, this didn't, this went on for the entire, but what am I going to do? I'm on a plane. I don't have a parachute. I can't get off this flight. I mean, so I just sat in my seat and I started smiling, just like, just, I'm trying to flood my brain and it didn't take long. And I wasn't even there anymore. I was just gone into this happy place where these memories take over and the endorphins flooded my body. And 
even the stewardess walked up at one point. It's like, sir, are you okay? I'm like, I'm great. <laughs> so it's like, but we have that power. So smiling is it's such a big part, you know, change the way your, your energy is smile. And then it changes the energy of the people around you, but working out on ourselves every day in, in, in three areas, spiritually, mentally, and physically, you know, you want to be a well-rounded person. You want to be a complete human being. You want to be a coffee bean. Then you've got to take care of yourself on all three of those levels, because look, you know, if we don't take care of ourselves emotionally, spiritually, mentally, then all the physical stuff we do is just, I mean, it's, it, you can't be a complete person without taking care of what's inside you. One of the most important jobs in society is, is, is sanitation workers, garbage, somebody you call the garbage man, right? Because if the garbage man in your cities decided to stop working tomorrow, they said, hey, we're going on strike, we're, we're never picking up trash again, it won't take long for your cities society to fall apart. No one, no one would want to live in your city anymore. No one wants to live in a town where trash is littered all over the streets, where, where you can't even see the houses because the garbage is piled so high. Society breaks down if the trash collectors stop doing their job. Right. The same thing happens in your life. If you stop cleaning out the trash inside you, you break down too, because you are your own sanitation worker in life. That means we constantly have to clean this crap out of our life and work through our personal inventories and clean out the garbage and, and take out the trash. And that's for me, that's something that, that I do weekly. I do it monthly. I make sure I clean that stuff out because I can't carry that baggage around with me. No one can. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing is, is that practicing servant leadership. You know, servant leadership is the secret to life, Chris. It's about what can we do to impact others? The, the work you do in your town to help children out, and that's servant leadership. How are we using our power to help people around us? Because the three hardest words I've found for people to say to other people are, I need help. Mm -hmm. I need help. It's the hardest thing for people to say. But everybody that you meet is going through something. Everybody that you meet is struggling in life with something. It's so important for us to be kind and look for ways to help people that are in need. And that's yeah. the servant leadership part. Well, I want to kind of talk a little bit more about, you talked about this idea of getting up every day and sort of doing this spiritual, mental, physical workout. And also from reading your book, The Change Agent, I know for you, sort of, at least in prison, um, having a routine or sort of daily ritual was very important to you being able to kind of make this transformation and become and maintain yourself as the person that you wanted to be. So are there things in those uh, categories that you do that are part of a ritual routine for you that you do on a regular daily basis? Yeah. You know, um, every day I get up and I've, I've got this prayer I learned, when I got into recovery, I got into a 12 step program recovery and, um, that's what I'm, I'm going to be in for the rest of my life. I go to, go to meetings every week. I have a sponsor. I work the steps. Recovery gives me the tools that I, that I need to live a life. But part of being in recovery is being tapped in to a higher power. And the thing about a program recovery is you get to pick your own higher power. But so I'm a Christian and my higher power is, is God. It's Christ. Uh, but everybody can pick their own. But I learned this prayer when I was in recovery in prison. It's the same prayer I pray today. It's the same prayer that I start every day out with. I get on my knees and I ask God for two things in the morning. Two things. That's it. I say, hey, God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you. And let me recognize that when I see it, because I don't want to miss that. You know, I don't want to miss these things in life. And that's it. That's the only thing, two things I pray for 
Because if I'm out there looking for ways to serve, then my life is in order, then I'm, I'm going to be taken care of. And, and I believe that if I'm taking care of what, if, if I'm taking care of the needs that I'm here for, then my needs will be met too. That's just the way the universe works. Not my wants. Now, mm-hmm. wants and needs are two different things. It's a whole different conversation. But that's how I start my day. I start my day like that. And then physically, you know, I've got to get out and exercise every day. I've got to do something. I've got to try to put the right foods in. And um, you get one body in this life. And like I told you at the beginning, your body is so important to take care of your body because your body carries your soul. You don't have anything else to carry your soul. And when your body is done, your soul is gone. Mm-hmm. That's it. So these are things that I work on every single day, but I'm always looking for ways to serve, Kristen. That's yep. really how I focus my day. How can I best serve other people? And I want to pick up on that, but before we do, I want to, we have a little section on our podcast that we call Ask Me Anything. So I want it, there are listener questions that we have for you. Um, so I want to take a break and, and get these questions asked for you. So the first one uh, is actually from Jackie, and she said, um, after you were released from prison on parole and decided that you were going to use this opportunity to do good, how did you choose your current path of becoming a speaker and writer? So whenever I was in prison, it was it was in 2011. I can tell you the date on the letter that I received was like September 2nd, September 3rd, 2011 couple of years into my life sentence, and I got a letter from my favorite teacher growing up. My favorite teacher was a guy named Mr. Jellin, my seventh grade history teacher. And at this point, when he writes me the letter in 2011, he's a junior high principal. And he writes me this letter, Christian, and he says, hey, Damon, you know, basically it says you've been to the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, but you've always been able to bounce back and you've always been a leader. And I believe in you. He told me those four words everyone needs to hear. I believe in you. And he said, when you get out of prison, you should consider sharing your story with young people because you can bring them hope and be a, be a, a, something to motivate them to change their lives if they're on the wrong path. And I remember laying in that bunk and in prison, holding this letter so close to me because this letter had those four words in it. You know, this man believes in me. And I thought to myself that night, man, if I was going to share my story, what would it look like? And that's when I realized that, Hey, I'm going to start building this story while I'm in here. I'm going to start becoming that person right now, because if I don't do it in here, then I'm not going to do it out there. And that was like the motivation that we all need to hear those four words. I believe in you, you know, and that was a seed that planted that first little tree that grew into this forest, which is now this coffee bean movement. That's all over the world. That book, the coffee bean is in every language, major language of the world, Chinese, Spanish, Arabic, French, Italian, Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on every continent. And so it, it's, it's been pretty wild, but it all started with that letter from the teacher. And I love that because I think that just really highlights how, um, you know, in the idea of this sort of servant leadership or helping others, something as simple as expressing that to a person that you believe in them, I mean, can have a life-changing effect. It's the little things, um, the little genuine things, I think, that can make an enormous impact on people without you even realizing it. So I love that. No story. doubt. No doubt. And we all, we all have this power inside of us. I mean, it's like, there's a story from Mr. Rogers. I love Mr. Oh, Rogers. I love him this too. Is, <laughs> this is, but this is before he was Mr. Rogers, the children's mm-hmm. television show guy. He was a Presbyterian minister in Pittsburgh. And he told the story because he went to church one Sunday. They had a substitute preacher that came in. And the substitute preacher gave a sermon that day. And at the end of this guy's sermon, Mr. Rogers thought to himself, 
that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. He said that was the worst preacher he had ever seen. He said this guy was awful. And just as Mr. Rogers was about to turn to this little old lady that was sitting next to him at church and tell this woman how awful he thought that guy was, he stopped. He bit his tongue because the little old lady next to him, she was bawling and crying and in tears. And she turned to Mr. Rogers and she said, that was the most beautiful sermon I've ever heard in my life. She said it was the absolute right thing I needed to hear at the absolute right time in my life. And she said, I'll never forget where I was this day that I heard this man's sermon. Mm-hmm. Mr. Rogers was floored, Christian. He was like, because he, the guy was so terrible. He was awful. You could see it in everybody's faces around him, how happy they were that he was done. But he profoundly impacted this one little old lady sitting next to him. You can't deny what you can see, right? And that's when he figured out that everybody, we all must have this power inside of us to impact life in a way that we can't even imagine. But he learned another very important lesson that day, Chris. He learned that while he was coming in judgment, that little old lady was coming in need. Mm-hmm. In need. And open and so, to receiving yeah, a message, I think. And open to receiving. And when we're coming in need, man, so many people around us are coming in need. Everybody's coming in need of something. What are we prepared to do to meet the needs of other human beings? Because we have that power inside of us. Absolutely. Uh, so the second question is a little bit different, but you know, given that we talk a lot about food and feeding, I think very appropriate. So this question is from Steve, and his question is, what is the worst meal that they served you in prison? And what is the first thing you ate when you were released? Do you remember? Man, I can, yeah, I can tell you. Yeah, pork. All right, so the first question, first answer to the first question, the worst meal was called pork noodle casserole. And I don't, I don't even know what's in pork noodle casserole. In the prison, it's just slop. It's a bowl of slop. And uh, it's got pork. It's got whatever they can throw into it that day. Uh, but pork noodle casserole was the worst thing. In fact, one time I was eating pork noodle casserole, and I found a hairy pig's ear with a with a yellow tag in it. I mean, so it's a no pig that was at the slaughter, but the ear ended up my food. That's how nasty pork noodle casserole is. They probably serve it three or four days a week because it's cheap, soft. Uh, the very first thing I ate when I got out of prison was Whataburger. <laughs> Whataburger. I don't know if y'all have Whataburgers where you we are. We do not, but unfamiliar. Oh, oh, they're they're so good. And I had been dreaming about a number two what a size with cheese for seven years, three months, and eighteen days. <laughs> and on that day that I walked out, I got to get my first Whataburger. Now I don't eat a ton of Whataburger now, um, and I have the option to go to Whataburger every day if I want. I try to eat more healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but from time to time, I'll treat myself to a number two what a size with cheese, like the first day that I got out of prison. Well, that is probably a good question. I mean, like it's it's a rare or a unique circumstance to be in an institution where you literally have no control of the food that you eat or what is offered. So has that changed your perspective on the way that you feed yourself or the way that you look at food now? So when I was in prison, I had my, my family took really good care of me. They, they put money on my books. Uh, so I always had ability to go down to the commissary to the store inside the prison. And I tried to eat as healthy as I could. So when I was in prison, I really, uh, I ate a lot of mackerel, a lot of tuna. I ate a lot of seeds and nuts, uh, oatmeal. I would have oatmeal without sugar in it. Um, I really had a really strict diet that I would kept myself on. I'd go to the chow hall to get the vegetables uh, and stuff like that. But I really was, I was lean. When I walked out of prison, I walked out of at 164 pounds, just shredded. I mean, I'm about like 5'11". Uh, but it was 164 just shredded 
because I had all day to work on myself mm -hmm. and I had all this time on my hands, but I had a little bit of control over my diet. Now, not everybody has that. Not everybody's as fortunate as I was. I was very fortunate to have people taking care of me and they have to eat the, the regimen that's in the chow halls. And it's look, it's tough, Kristen. I mean, it's, I looked at the chow hall food and I was like, man, so grateful. I don't have to rely on that food to live because, uh, yeah, it's it, to get your substance from a place and you don't have any control over it. And you're probably not going to like it on most days, but you have to learn to just deal with it. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think something, not a uh, something a lot of us take for granted, I think. Absolutely. So let's circle back because I do want to talk to you about that concept of servant leadership. Um, so if you could explain to us a little bit what that means to you, um, but also as, as I've read about it and kind of heard you speak about it, to me, uh, I thought it was very easy to relate that message to um, parenting as well as a form of servant leadership, which I understand mm -hmm. now you, you actually have a stepdaughter, correct? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm sure that you can speak on a first hand level as well as maybe how that can relate. Yeah. And then parenting is a big servant leadership role because it, I define servant leadership as helping other people reach their goals in life, helping to raise other people up to a different station of life. And because I truly believe when we're helping other people, that's when we're at our best and we're all called to do it. And we're all going to need help from other people at some point. So if everybody is committed to being servant leaders, then everybody gets the help they need along the way. And uh, this is never more true than in parenting or, or teaching. Um, as a, as a stepfather, uh, I've got a stepdaughter that's 10 years old and, you know, she's got a really great father too. So, I mean, I don't have to try to step into the role of, of being her dad. They, they have a great relationship, but my role with Clara is more of a friend and a, and a, and a role model and someone that, that shows Clara by example, how to, you know, how, how to behave in life and how to be in life. And, and that's what I really, and, and I take that job very seriously. And I make Clara a priority. Um, I, try, I try to, you know, be the best version of myself possible all the time. But especially when I know that that little kid is watching, because I want Clara to have an example in front of her of a servant leader. Because we talked to her, you know, one of the things that Kendall, my wife, will tell Clara sometimes when she's going to school, just reminds her, you know, you know, you're smart, you're pretty, and you're funny. But she said the, the best thing about you, Clara, is that you're kind. Because being kind is a choice, and you have to you have to choose to be kind. And so we always remind Clara that we we show Clara examples of servant leadership. You know, almost monthly, we'll have Clara go through her toys and stuff that she has, and 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 say, "Hey, look, what are you not playing with now? Let's move this. Let's move these toys on to other children that don't have the same um, the same advantages in life." Because she has a great life. She has, you know, she has everything she could ever want in life. And so we try to move the excess out to families that don't have that. My wife and I have a real estate development company. And, um, one of the things I do is, uh, you know, we have construction workers and stuff like that. And I, and I've let all the halfway houses and everybody around here know that, Hey, you get a guy coming out of prison. That's in a program recovery because the program recovery is important because now they can keep whatever it is they get in life. They won't go out back into their addiction but find me those men that had have a program recovery they're just out there looking for a fresh start and i'll hire them and one of the things we've done is some of these guys come out they have nothing so we'll take clara we'll go to walmart we'll buy work boots and work clothes and everything else for a guy and, and take them home and package them up real nice and put them in a duffel bag and and then bring them to somebody so she gets to see stuff like that she gets mm -hmm. to see 
what it's like to serve other people because and kids um, notice those. I mean, those are life changing lessons for children. Yeah, she's seeing she's seeing she's seeing life changing lessons like that, that that none of her other friends are seeing. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're just and that's not to, a knock on any of her other friends and how they're raised, but she gets a, a front row seat to see um, to see that people have you know people can make mistakes and they can overcome their challenges they can overcome their mistakes that that you're not your worst day you know your past doesn't define you she lives with that example from her stepdad she knows my backstory she knows that i've i've made some poor choices that i was a bad guy at one time because i was hooked on drugs but that um i work every day to overcome that and help other people now i mean mm -hmm. Where are you going to get that lesson? You know, yeah. that's like that's like front row seat to like life changing stuff. It's, yeah. I mean, it's front row seat to what people bring me in and, and people bring me in to speak to their organizations. She gets to live that, you know, it's, yeah. it's really cool. Well, let's circle back um, before we're done. I did want to talk to you. We talked at the beginning a little bit about sort of the the social media, the self-talk, the, th the other things than food that we kind of feed ourselves and how mm -hmm. important that is, how, our, how important our environment is to shaping us. So can we circle back and, and can you relate that sort of to this coffee bean message and just the idea of how you can change yourself in terms of being more positive and also be sort of a force for positivity within your own environment? Yeah, we've got to always be very careful about what we feed ourselves. And that's, uh, you know, what, what are we putting in? Because we don't want to bring something in that, that, that triggers fears. Because the opposite of, of fear is love. We want to bring stuff in that brings us closer to love. And how do we be, uh, how do, how do, what makes us more positive and makes us more useful to people again? So, you know, I tell people what's going on right now in society in America, it, it's, it's, both sides peddling fear and, and it's, you're constantly beat down with this stuff, but you've got to allow that stuff in and, and the TV sets, social media, these are doorways that, that that's this negativity comes in. In America right now, we are addicted to negative entertainment, mm -hmm. negative entertainment, because that's what this is. This isn't news. That's not new. You can get your news from all kinds of different places, but that stuff on TV is not news. It's negative entertainment and it feeds that fear. And when we live in fear, we're incapable of loving and, and anything that stops you from loving. Look, that's one of your three basic instincts in life. You know, everybody's the way we behave in life is all based around three instincts, our, our need to be secure, our need to belong and our need to be loved. And when we when something affects one of those three things, we'll go into fight or flight mode when that happens. And so. If something is coming in from fear, it's attacking your ability to love or your instinct to love. So be careful of those things. I love that. So I had to laugh kind of as I was preparing for this. And obviously we're, uh, I, I know you're really into football. You played football. You do a lot of work with football teams. I am newly into football, much more into the NFL than college football. Um, but I had to laugh because the only reason I'm interested in football at 40 years old is because my nine-year-old son is obsessed with football. And his enthusiasm and excitement and love for football was so contagious that my entire family, um, you know, my three other kids and my husband, now we're all into football. So I felt like, you know, it was sort of this tiny microcosm of the way that his positive energy could influence our whole family to have something we all enjoy and love. So for my son, Sai, 
My question is, what are your predictions for the Super Bowl? <laughs> uh, a rematch from last year. That's Tom I... Brady. Yeah, Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. And uh, it's hard to bet against Brady. I mean, just <laughs> but you, you never but you never know. I mean, he's, he's been, you know, he's he's gotten to the Super Bowl and lost before. But I think it's going to be a repeat from last year. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to it. I, I don't have any favorite NFL teams. I have favorite quarterbacks I like to watch. And Brady and Mahomes are two of my favorites. I just follow quarterbacks. Ah, well, we, we were diehard Cardinals fans, so it's been a rough, rough second yeah. half of the season. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Damon, so much for coming on our show today. I very much appreciate your authenticity and your willingness to share this story with all of us um, to help us sort of be better versions of ourselves. Uh, I want to make sure that everyone knows how they can get a hold of your books. Uh, they're incredible. I highly recommend them. Yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, Books A Million, anywhere books are sold, you can find my books, The Change Agent, The Coffee Bean, The Coffee Bean for Kids, and coming in in June is going to be The Locker Room, so I've got another book coming out in June. Um, yeah, my books are anywhere books are sold, and look, I appreciate the opportunity, Kristen, too, and, and let's try to come back to Omaha and bring, some, bring this presentation back out there. Uh, the I will be working firsthand on that, and I do want to say um, I can wholeheartedly endorse that you are an incredible public speaker, and so if anybody wants to get a hold of you to talk to their team or their group, um, what's the best way to contact you for that? My website, damonwest.org, D-A-M-O-N-W-E-S-T dot O-R-G. And that was where you're going to find everything about my platform on there, my bio, everything you'll need, videos about me speaking. But yeah, look me up. If you're looking for a speaker for an event, uh, your group, your team, your organization needs the Coffee Bean message. Definitely. I hope we can get you back in Omaha very soon. I hope so too, Kristen. I look forward to it. Thank you. And thanks for joining us for another episode of Feeding the Family. As always, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And we'll see you next week. 